All right, I'm going to read you Psalm 129. This is a song of ascents. Many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, many a time they have afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed on my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut in pieces the cords of the wicked. Let all those who hate Zion be put to shame and turned back. Let them be as the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor he who binds sheaves his arms. Neither let those who pass by them say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Okay, today we're going to finish up chapter 25. It's in uh, Exodus 25, starting in verse 31. And uh, this is entitled the menorah. <clears throat> you shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. And six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an or ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all these utensils, and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The menorah is a marvel and a wonder concerning the wisdom of God. The details of its design and construction are literally filled with pictures of Christ and his work throughout the ages. Like the previous two pieces of furniture that have been described, contemplating the design and construction of the menorah is to take a look into the very mind of God. His handiwork is evident in every detail, and the perfection of what we will see is astonishing when one thinks of all that is connected to it through the rest of the Bible. By the end of the sermon, we will have looked into a host of patterns and details, and yet I fear that we will have only touched on the things that this marvelous gold menorah actually symbolizes. In the end, the menorah was only a representation of something else. It served its purpose during the years that Israel had a tabernacle and then a temple. But in the end, the true menorah is found in our Lord Jesus. He is the true light which shines in the world, and he is the one to illuminate the dark places with his radiant magnificence. And to understand the Lord Jesus, we must look into another lamp which has been given us, a lamp which is also pictured in the menorah. It is the lamp of Scripture, which illuminates the work of Christ throughout all of human history. Our text verse comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, it's verses 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us that it is the Holy Spirit who gave us the Bible through holy men of God. A few things about this are necessary to understand. The first is that of the inspiration of Scripture. In Matthew 22, verse 43, Jesus shows us that the writings of God through David were from the Holy Spirit. The logical deduction that we can make is that all of the Old Testament came from the same divine inspiration. Jesus' words throughout the Gospels show that this is true. In Luke 24, after the resurrection, Jesus explained all of the scriptures to those he walked with and showed them how they actually revealed him. But he had already told this to the people. They just hadn't understood. This was seen in his words to the Jewish leaders in John chapter 5. He said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are which testify of me. The scriptures which Jesus spoke of at that time were the Old Testament. 
Jesus plainly stated that the words of the Old Testament testify of him. After this, and just before his crucifixion, Jesus said this to his apostles in John 16, verse 13. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. In other words, the same Spirit who gave us the Old Testament has given us the new as well. The Word of God is one unified whole, which points to the work of God in Christ, and it is illuminated to us through the Holy Spirit. These truths are clearly and precisely detailed in the construction and in the design of the menorah. It is the light of the tabernacle which was designed by God. Understanding this, let's get right into the sermon today. It's all to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first of three thoughts today is a lampstand of pure gold. It's verses 31 through 36. Verse 31, you shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The last item to be described in this chapter is that of the menorah. Some translations archaically call it a candlestick, but it is much more appropriately called a lampstand. The word menorah is introduced into the Bible here. It is essentially the same as the word ner or lamp. You can hear it in there, menorah. Thus, the menorah is literally a lamp bearer. This menorah, like the overlay of the ark, the entirety of the mercy seat, the overlay of the table of showbread, and the utensils for the table of showbread was to be made of zahav tahor, or gold pure. Again, as before, the symbolism remains constant. Zahav, or gold, is the finest of the biblical metals. It indicates purity and holiness, but even more, it represents royalty, kings, and kingdoms. Gold is both a metal and a color, and both are associated with kingship. It is also considered an incorruptible metal. The adjective tahor, or pure, comes from the verb tahur, which means pure in a physical, chemical, ceremonial, or moral sense. In this, we can see that the gold is to be completely undefiled in any way. It thus represents that which is divine, and so it pictures Christ's deity and perfect purity in all ways, physical, moral, etc., Verse 31 going on, the lampstand shall be of hammered work. Like the mercy seat, which sat on the Ark of the Covenant, the lampstand was to be made of hammered work. Mikshah, or hammered work, comes from the word mikshay, which means a fancy hairdo. Therefore, it could be the turning of metal, like the braids of hair, or it could be a hammering of metal for shaping. As was seen from the terminology used in the making of the mercy seat, it is more likely a hammering of metal than a turning of metal. The skilled hands of a craftsman were to shape the menorah until it was complete and ready to be used. Verse 31 going on. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. The word translated as shaft is yarek, and it properly means thigh. The thigh stands as the foundation of man, the place for girding on one's sword and the source of life. The first two times that it was used in the Bible give us a hint as to why the word is chosen here. It is found in Genesis 24 with two separate sets of verses. First from Genesis 24, 2 through 4. Please put your hand under my thigh, that word Yarek, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac. And then in verse 9, so the servant put his hand under the thigh, Yarek of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. This is the most intimate part of the man, and this is therefore the most solemn vow that could have been made. Under the thigh is where Abraham's life continued on through his seed, resulting in Isaac. It is also where the rite of circumcision was conducted. This request of Abraham pointed to the coming Messiah. Because Abraham's seed would lead to the Messiah through Isaac, the son of promise. Further, circumcision as a rite pictures the cutting away of the sin nature. The oath that was demanded concerned the highest decision in the life of Abraham, and it was to therefore be the highest priority of the servant who was to carry it out. This thigh would be the central stem from which proceeded the pairs of branches. From it would continue the middle shaft all the way up to its lamp. 
It would also include the base of the lamp. The word kane, or branches, plural, follows the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In Hebrew, the word is singular. It won't be plural until verse 32. Therefore, this is now only speaking of the middle branch. The word kane means a reed or a stalk. Next are mentioned its bowls. The word is gabia, which means a cup or a bowl. The knobs are a word introduced into the Bible here, kaftor. This word indicates either a capital on a column or a bulb or a knob which encircles the shaft of the lampstand. The word is identical to the name kaftor, which refers to the island of Crete. And so it's believed that they are named from the place where such ornaments were first imported. And finally, the parach, or flowers, are now mentioned for the first time in the Bible. The word means a bud, a blossom, or a flower. What appears to be the intent, although this is debated, is that these bowls, knobs, and flowers represent the entire flower, which includes the cup, which is the whole open flower, the knob, which is the calyx of the flower, and the corolla, which are the outer leaves of the flower. All of these were to be ornamented on the main shaft and were to be hammered from just one single piece of gold. But there is much more to have come out of this single piece of metal. Verse 32, and six branches shall come out of its sides. Not only was the menorah to have such a marvelous shaft going straight up, but it was to have six branches which came out of its sides as well. Unlike the other candelabra that we see in the world, this one will be unique in that all of the branches come out of the sides only. Thus, they are all on the same plane. Verse 32 going on, three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. This menorah is to be hammered out of a single piece of metal. Thus, it will be something which will require immense skill in order to fashion. Unlike something which is either cast from molten metal or something which is soldered together, this will be, like the mercy seat, completely formed from a single chunk of gold. From each side will come three individual branches which are to be symmetrical to one another. Verse 33, three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. These bowls are not at the top of the branch, but are within the branch itself. And so what you have is the branch coming out of the menorah, and then an almond blossom with its knob and its flower, then more branch, and then another almond blossom with its knob and its flower, and then there is more branch and another almond blossom with its knob and its flower. This would be followed by more branch leading to the top. The verb for made like an almond is shakad. It's only used six times in the Bible, and all are in reference to the making of this menorah. This word shakad comes from shaked, or almond, it is used only four times in the Bible, but understanding its use will give insights into its symbolic meaning, which is included here in the menorah. In the book of Numbers, Aaron's staff is said to be a sign to the people. In one night, it is said to have sprouted, put forth buds, produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds in a single night. The almond is one of the first plants to flower in the spring, which usually occurs in late February to early March, and it is one of the last plants to have its fruit ripen from August through October. Thus, this was an amazing miracle because it spanned the entire harvest season in a single night. In Ecclesiastes, the blossoming of the almond tree is said to reflect the aged condition of man. The almond blossoms are white, just as an aged person's hair is white, like my beard right here. Following on with that, white hair is reflective of honor in Leviticus chapter 19. And in the book of Jeremiah, we read the last use of the almond. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. In those verses is a play on words. The word almond is shaked, but the word watching is shokad. Therefore, the almond is being equated with an extended period of time, honor, and watching. Verse 33 continues, And three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. Opposite each branch, there would be another branch which followed the same pattern, repeating it on the other side. Verse 33 going on, And for the six branches that come out of the lampstand, all six of the branches were to come directly out of the lampstand each with its corresponding branch on the other side. 
In total, the number of floral arrangements on the six branches would be 18. The branches derive their source from the stem of the menorah. Thus, the central branch is the heart of it, and the branches are dependent on the middle branch. Verse 34. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. Like the branches, there were to be floral arrangements as well. But instead of three on any branch, there were to be four. Therefore, in all, there will be 22 of these floral arrangements on the menorah, four in the middle and 18 on the six branches, or 22. These 22 arrangements correspond to the 22 letters of the Hebrew Aleph Bet. We are being given insights right from the mind of God. Verse 35, And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. A question arises whether these knobs are in addition to the four already on the lampstand, or if it is speaking of three of the four knobs on the flowers themselves. The word and at the beginning of the verse could mean in addition, or could simply be a descriptor for the use of the three bulbs. Assuming that these are bulbs belonging to the flowers, which I believe is correct, the thought here can be understood in one of two ways. Either the branches come out from the stem, and there is a knob below that spot, and thus the knob is below the branches in altitude. If this is so, then the branches would come out above the knob and below the flower itself. Or, there is a knob on the stem, and the branches come out of the knob. If this is so, then the knob is below the base of the stems, but only in the sense of being where the stems begin. Various depictions show both options, and it's very hard to be dogmatic about which is correct. But the second option, that of the stems coming out of the knobs, seems correct based on the next verse. The depiction of the Arch of Titus, where they have a menorah displayed there, is no help at all because it doesn't match either in the Bible in that regard. They had seven lampstands in that temple. One of them is depicted. It's not the one in the Bible. That's what I'm trying to tell you here. Verse 36, their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece. Because it says their knobs and their branches, it appears that the branches are actually coming out of the knobs and not out of the stem above the knobs. Otherwise, it appears that these words would have been superfluous. But the intent here is the branches are not to be fashioned separately and welded onto the knobs. Instead, they were to be of one solid piece with it. A lot of work. Verse 36 continues, All of it shall be one hammered piece of pure gold. Everything thus far described was to be fashioned out of a single piece of metal being hammered. It was not to be cast or welded, something that would have been infinitely easier to do. Instead, it was to be shaped by the hand of the artisan through wisdom and skill. Again, Moses is reminded that it is to be of zahav tahor, or gold pure. It was thus to have no impurities of any kind, but it was to be refined to the very highest degree possible. The repetition of the words is a stress all its own for Moses to consider and to remember. The purest of gold, fit for a king, was used to make a seven-branch lamb stand. Seeing its beauty makes my heart sing. The workmanship, marvelous, stunning, and grand. Every detail is so beautiful, each knob and flower. The glistening of the branches as they catch the light. It shines in the dark for hour after hour, illuminating the holy place throughout the night. The glory of God is seen in each detail. Every branch speaks out a marvelous story, and in what it pictures, nothing will fail, as the Lord reveals to us his unending glory. Our second thought today is a lamp for giving light. It's verses 37 through 40. Verse 37, you shall make seven lamps for it. What is implicit here is that there will be seven individual lamps for each of the seven branches. Though not described, they would be round or oval lamps with a mouth at one spot from which the wick would protrude. They would probably have been worked into the top of a flower of each branch, or if the branch continued out of the top of the flower, they would be fashioned so that the lamp would be made to come out of the protruding branch. Verse 37 continues, and they shall arrange its lamps. Some translations have these words read something like, and they shall light its lamps, instead of, and they shall arrange its lamps. The word is Allah, and it means to go up. For this reason, it may be better translated as set up the lamps rather than light the lamps. Although, 
Later in chapter 27, the same term, Allah, will be used for the lighting of the lamps. In other words, the details for the construction and arrangement of the menorah are being given now, not the details for the care of it. This is seen in the continuation of the verse, verse 37 going on, so that they give light in front of it. The purpose of the menorah was to give light throughout the night. Exodus 30, verse 8 says that the lamps were to be lit at twilight. Exodus 27, 21 shows that it was to burn all night, being tended to from evening until morning by Aaron and his sons. And Exodus 30, verse 7 shows that they were to be extinguished in the morning when the high priest dressed them. Exodus 26.35 then shows that the menorah was to be placed outside the veil in the holy place, across from the table of showbread on the south side of the room. It would be parallel with the wall, and so the words that they give light in front of it means that the direction of the table of showbread would be that which was primarily illuminated, but the entire holy place would be fully lit from the lamps. Verse 38, and its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold. The word for wick trimmers, melkach, is introduced into the Bible. It's going to be used six times. It comes from the word lakach, which means to take. And so it means snuffers or tongs. It is that which will draw out the wick if necessary to keep the fire burning and also to terminate the burning of the wick at morning time. It is used in the sense of tongs in Isaiah 6, verse 6, when a hot coal is taken from the altar and pressed to Isaiah's lips. The word trays is another new word to scripture, machta. Kind of sounds like something you hear from a Klingon on Star Trek, machta. It would be the snuff dishes which were used to place the snuff which was taken from the wicks when extinguished. The same word is used in other places to indicate a fire pan, which is used for removing coals from a fire. And also it is translated as a censer. Like the menorah itself, these implements were to be made of pure gold. Verse 39, it shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all of these utensils. The talent or kikar is reckoned by various sources to be from 75 to 130 pounds of gold. As a fun brain squiggle for you, the word kikar comes from the word karar, which means to dance in a twirling manner, and thus round. Therefore, the talent would be a large, round ingot of gold. The menorah and all of its associated utensils was to be made from an ingot of the finest gold of this weight. Verse 40, our last verse of the day. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. Moses is reminded here that the things which are to be built are to be in accordance with the pattern that he was shown. The word pattern was first seen in verse 25, verse 9, when speaking of the implements for the construction of the tabernacle. This admonition is given again, and it is not just speaking of the details of the menorah, but of all of the details of chapter 25. The word pattern is tavnit. It comes from the word bana, which means to build. It indicates a structure and by implication, a model or a resemblance. According to the pattern I showed you, so shall you make all of these things. Every detail shall be precise, so shall you do, for in the details there are pictures of marvelous things. Those things that I will later reveal are found hidden in each and every detail, you see. For now in symbols, these things I did conceal. Yes, wonderful things, I'm sure you will agree. And someday the mysteries will become clear, those things that were once hidden from sight will be realized in my own son, precious and dear. They will shine forth with a resplendent light. Our third thought today is marvelous pictures of Christ and his work. In these instructions, there was a pattern or a model for Moses to work with. He was shown in advance exactly what the final result should look like. Nothing was to be left to the thoughts of man, but of God alone. Therefore, the tabernacle and all of its implements reflect that which is of divine origin. Everything about them then was to symbolize or to picture something else. In the case of the menorah, there is an immense amount of detail for us to consider. This third piece of furniture in the tabernacle follows logically after the first two. The Ark of the Covenant with its mercy seat and then the table of showbread. The ark with the law inside is a picture of Christ fulfilling the law. Thus, he embodies the law. The crowning aspect of that was his death, which was pictured by the mercy seat. After his earthly work, 
Pictured by these things comes the table of showbread. With his work accomplished, he could truly be considered our bread from heaven. His resurrection proved it, and his words were vindicated in that act. We can now participate in his life by receiving his work. From that, we become a part of the lump of bread, his body. Immediately following that are the details of the menorah. The light of the lamp proceeds from the oil burning on the lamp. Thus, the oil is a picture of the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, illuminating the holy place. This could only follow after his death, as he himself said in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. After Christ's death, we could receive his body as our bread of life. From that act, the spirit is given to us. As you can see, the order with which each of these pieces have been named and described follows the pattern of the work of Christ for us, as is outlined in the Bible. Each article follows logically and naturally, one after another. Considering the menorah, the pure gold symbolizes his divine nature, as well as his total purity and his royal status. Notice that only tahor, or pure gold, is used in this lamp's design. It speaks of pure divinity and absolute holiness. The menorah itself is designed specifically as an instrument of illumination. In symbolism, it is the illumination and light of Christ. The light is what he spoke of in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Within the menorah, though, there is much more symbolism than just this. Its seven branches marvelously unite all of the spiritual meanings of this divine number into one, holiness, perfection, fullness, and completion. The shaft, or yarek, speaks of the Messiah, the fulfillment of the promised seed of Abraham. He is the divine entry into humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, God incarnate. From that middle shaft, six other branches come out, they are of the same nature as the branch, and yet they are distinct from it, and they are totally dependent on it. Further, though the details of these branches differ from the shaft, they are essentially the same in material and in final use. The number six in the Bible represents man, especially fallen man. But these six are united to the first and thus bear the first's same nature. Therefore, these picture the redeemed of the Lord dependent on Christ and yet bearing his nature. As there are two sides which are identical, they reflect the totality of man, Jew, and Gentile. Also, the seven lamps filled with oil reflect the sevenfold spirit of the Lord, which is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 11. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This sevenfold spirit is referred to several times in Revelation, such as in Revelation 4-5, where it says, From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and rolls of thunder. Before the throne burned seven torches of fire. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. Next, the seven branches reflect the seven days of creation in the creation account. From top to bottom and from right to left, the branches would be numbered going up each side. Thus, it would be branches one, two, and three on the right, and four, five, and six on the left. The first and fourth branches would be at the same level. They reflect the creation of light on the first day and the creation of light bearers, the sun, moon, and stars on the fourth day. The second and fifth branches would be on the same level. They reflect the division of the waters above and below in the second day and the filling of the waters with fish and the firmament with birds on the fifth day. The third and sixth branches would be on the same level. They reflect the creation of the dry land and plants on day three and the filling of the land with animals and man and the giving of plants to man as food on the sixth day. Everything fits perfectly. The seventh middle branch reflects the day of God's rest from his creative efforts and upon which the other six days branch out from and of which they are actually totally dependent on. It is the foundation and source of all else. All of creation is dependent on this seventh and without it, nothing else would have any true meaning. This explains why there are four flowers on the middle shaft. The number four is the number of creation. 
All of creation is represented by those four flowers. All of creation is there in that picture. Stemming from that are the branches which reflect the divine completeness of all of creation. Next, the seven branches picture the entire span of redemptive history, its fullness. It is reflective of the 7,000-year span of man's time on earth. The middle branch is unique from the others, and it is that which the others stem from. The middle branch is known as the shamash, which means the helper or the servant candle. Tradition has it that this was the first lit, and then the others were lit after it. It is still a practice of the Jews to this day. Thus, this middle or servant candle is a picture of the time of the birth of Christ around the year 4000, or right in the middle of the 7,000-year plan for man. He came as the servant at that time. He is the one who then lights up the ages of human history. The six branches of human history stem out naturally from this epic moment when Christ came to dwell among us, and they are actually dependent on his coming. He is the foundation of man, and he is the source of life. Further, he is our rest. Therefore, the words of Hebrews 4.3 are confirmed in his coming at this 4,000-year point, which says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. Just as the middle branch pictures God's Sabbath rest in creation, Christ is our true Sabbath rest because of his coming. The seven branches also reflect the sevenfold division of Scripture, the law, the Old Testament history, the books of wisdom, the major prophets, the minor prophets, the New Testament history, and the New Testament letters. This is the light of God revealed to us in written form. These seven divisions follow in the same pattern as that of the seven days of creation. From right to left, the branches would be numbered going up on each side. Thus, it would be branches one, two, and three on the right, and four, five, and six on the left. The first and fourth branches would be at the same level. Branch one would be the five books of Moses, the Torah, and branch four would correspond with the five major prophets. Remember that number, five. The second and fifth branches would be on the same level. Branch two would reflect the 12 Old Testament history books. Branch five would reflect the 12 minor prophets. Remember that number, 12. The third and sixth branches would be on the same level. Branch three symbolizes the five wisdom letters, Branch 6 symbolizes the five New Testament books of history, Matthew through Acts. Remember that number, five. The seventh middle branch symbolizes the 22 New Testament letters. Despite coming last in written history, they are what the other six categories branch out from and which those branches are completely dependent on, the revelation of the grace of Christ. They explain the foundation of biblical theology and they fully reveal Christ, our source of life and our place of rest. As a marvelous point of interest, if one takes the numbers from each corresponding branch, which I know you remember, 22 in the middle, 5, 12, and 5, they will come up with the most splendid of patterns revealed in the Hebrew Aleph Bet. The 22 letters of the main branch correspond to the letter Tav. In Hebrew, the 22nd letter of the Aleph Bet. The next two branches each have five corresponding letters. This is the fifth letter, hey. The next two branches each have 12 corresponding letters. This is the 12th letter, lamed. And the final two branches have five corresponding letters. Again, it is the fifth letter, hey. In order, they are tav, hey, lamed, hey. Written out, they spell the word tehila, or praise. It is where the name of the Psalms, tehilim, comes from. Thus, radiating from the menorah in a pictorial display is the praise of God's workings in creation, in history, and in the work of Christ, all of which is revealed in the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the structure of which is found in this beautiful pure gold menorah which stood in the holy place in the tabernacle. Just as the menorah was to be fashioned out of hammered work by hand, the Bible was fashioned by the hand of man under the inspiration of the Spirit. It is one unified whole. It wasn't cast as if by the work of a single process, nor was it soldered together as of many pieces. Instead, it was made as a unified whole from one circle of gold. Just as the wheel of the Bible forms a perfect circle which matches the form and structure of the menorah, the wisdom of the Lord through the Spirit of God and through the hand of man dances, if you will, twirling through the entire process from the beginning to the end. The Bible is a single 
unified and marvelous whole. The menorah is specifically called the lamp of God in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Likewise, the word of God is also called a lamp in scripture. In Psalm 119, it says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Christ is the word of God and the Holy Spirit is what illuminates the word of God. Thus, both are intricately tied up in the symbolism of the menorah. The 22 floral arrangements on the menorah first symbolize the Hebrew Aleph Bet. They are the basis for the structure of the entire Bible. That they are almonds signifies the entire period of the word of God going forth throughout human history. The almond being the first of the blossoms in the season and of the last to ripen signifies the entire duration of man's time on earth. The almond also signifies the honor and the wisdom which is tied up in the giving of the word and that the Lord is watching over his word. He is watching to perform his word and he is watching man's adherence to his word throughout all ages. And this brings us to the next picture of the menorah. The seven branches represent the seven dispensations of redemptive history over which God's light shines and through which the word has been illuminated. They are the dispensations of innocence, conscience, government, promise, law, grace, and the millennium. God's word has been given throughout all of them, and the spirit is what illuminates them for those who walk in his light, the light of Christ. The 22 floral arrangements on these dispensations then are also reflective of the 22 letters or epistles of the New Testament. After the first five books of the New Testament history, Matthew through Acts, these 22 letters, Romans through Revelation, are what testify to the doctrine of salvation through the work of Christ alone. Therefore, although the dispensation of grace is the sixth in the stream of time, it is the logical center of the seven. They are represented, all seven dispensations then are represented on the menorah by branch one symbolizing innocence, Branch four corresponds to it in promise, innocence promise. Branch two symbolizes conscience, and branch five corresponds to it in law. You have conscience, and you have a law for the conscience. Branch three symbolizes government, and branch six corresponds to it in the millennium. Each of these is supported by the foundation of grace, which fully reveals Christ, our source of life. The doctrine of salvation by grace through faith is that which lights up the entire Bible, Shadows of it were seen in the Old Testament, but only in the truths as revealed in the 22 New Testament letters which explain the work of Christ are they fully realized. In the 22 floral almond depictions, we see that which the Lord has watched over from beginning to end. Only in them is this truly realized. The tabernacle itself is a picture of the person of Jesus Christ. As the church is his body, then the makeup of the tabernacle also reflects this truth. On the menorah are the seven lamps, each representing the seven churches of the book of Revelation. They are a light to a world of darkness. The menorah itself is a representation of the light of the word of God and of his spirit as it is revealed through Jesus Christ. These are given to his people, the people of the church, to direct our praises, our worship, and our conduct. And they are also given as a means of comfort and a light shining in the darkness. As the menorah pictures the word of God, the illumination towards the table of showbread in the holy place symbolizes the Bible illuminating the work of Christ, our bread of life. It was to be an ever-present reminder to God's people that Christ's life was given for us. It is the highlight of the message of the Bible. When we look at the menorah, we can see a picture of that which is wholly marvelous. It is a snapshot of creation of all of redemptive history, and it is a picture of the intricately detailed work which God has done in Christ for us. Because this includes we who have been redeemed by God and sealed with his spirit, therefore let us strive to shine out to the world the light of Christ and the warmth and the comfort of his Holy Spirit. Let us be responsible members of his body, pursuing his word and telling others of his marvelous deeds. And if you have not yet called on Christ as your Lord, it is high time that you do. God is shouting out to you through scripture and through both testaments that he loves you enough to present himself in these marvelous types and pictures. And finally, in what they represent, the coming of Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of all of it. 
and in him you can find your true source of light and hope. And so as I do each week, I'd ask you that if you have never called on Jesus Christ as Lord, to consider your place before God. What is it that's going to give you light? What is it that's going to change your life for the better? What is it that's going to give you hope? It can't come from anything in creation because everything in creation is temporary. It's fleeting and it's passing away. And eventually we're all going to die and become a part of the same creation again in a different aspect than we are now. Only Jesus Christ gives us the hope of eternal life because only Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He stepped out of the stream of human existence right in the middle of the menorah. The servant came just like the servant candle at that point in time, and he lights up all of the ages of human history. Without him, none of those other branches make any sense at all. And in fact, without him, none of those branches would have anything to adhere to. Jesus Christ is the foundation of all else. He lived the life, one of those branches, the law, that we cannot live perfectly. And then he gave that life up in exchange for our sins. And he says, if you will just call on me, you'll be a part of this lamp that I am. And you'll be like a star that shines brightly for all eternity, forever and ever throughout the ages. But you have to call on Jesus Christ in order to do it. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you believe that he came and he died for your sins and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what the Bible promises. So please, if you haven't done that, today would be a good day to do it, okay? Our closing verse today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's the sixth verse. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Once again, what Paul says just confirms what we just looked at in the menorah. Everything is about Jesus. Every single detail is about him and what he has done in the world as pictured by these ancient symbols. Next week is Exodus 26, it's verses 1 through 14. Paying heed to this sermon will be time well spent. It's entitled The Tabernacle and the Tent. And it'll be your 75th, 71st Exodus sermon. Uh, the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. And even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, he can part the waters and he can lead you through it on dry ground. So follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you. All right. Our poem today is called Christ, Our Shining Lamp. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be of hammered work. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs and flowers shall be of one piece. No detail shall you shirk. And six branches out of its side shall come, three branches of the lampstand out of one side. And three branches of the lampstand will be from out of the other side. These instructions shall be applied. Three bowls shall be made like almond blossoms on one branch, you see, with an orna ornamental knob and a flower. Do this as you have heard from me. And three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch, so you shall understand, with an ornamental knob and a flower, for, and so for the six branches that come out of the lampstand. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall, like almond blossoms, be made, each with its ornamental knob and flower, so shall it be arrayed. And there shall be a knob, thus you shall do, under the first two branches alike shall be your aim, a knob under the second two branches of the same two, and a knob under the third two branches of the same. According to the six branches that extend from the lampstand to this you shall attend. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece, as I have told. All of it shall be of one hammered piece of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps in this way, so that they give light in front of it. Ensure you do this, just as I say. And its wick trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold for beauty and for praise. It shall be made of a talent of pure gold. With all these utensils, so shall you do and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which on the mountain was shown to you. Such marvelous detail for these implements of gold, each carrying a picture of our Lord Jesus, just as everything which in the Bible you have told shows something far greater to us. What marvel and beauty is found in this precious word, and all of it is centered on Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so we praise you, Lord God Almighty, so be pleased to live in our praises for all eternity. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this uh, marvelous, marvelous 
picture of Christ and everything that he has shown for us. And I fear that there are a thousand other pictures that we've just overlooked in this lampstand because it's such an intricate and marvelous thing that you've given us. And the details are so, so wonderful that you were so precise and that there's something in history which matches them and that you wanted us to see. Help us to search you out in every single passage that we find in the Bible to seek after you and then to hold fast to you. Help us to never let go of you, no matter what our despondent state is, no matter how our hearts are are yearning for something else or that we're depressed over life's trials or troubles or we have sickness that brings us down. Help us to just keep our eyes fixed on you through those times. And we know that you'll be there for us at the end of them and carrying us all the way through them. You are a great God. You're wonderful in all your ways. You've given us sure promises that cannot fail because your word is true. And they're all centered on Jesus Christ, our wonderful Lord. And so it's in his name we pray. Amen. I know there was a lot of detail in that. And I know it was overwhelming. But you only get one chance on giving the information and you got forever to read the written sermon if you want to go back and see it. There's so much information in that menorah. It, it, it astonishes me how everything in the Bible points to that light which is shining and then where it's shining to, the table of showbread, the highlight of God's uh, workings in human history, the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his body given for us. And then we have that right here. And this is, if we were in the tabernacle right now, you'd have the table of showbread against that wall and the menorah on that wall, and it would be shining towards that table. Look at what I've done for you in human history. And then behind the veil is the picture of Christ himself embodying that law and his death there on the cross of Calvary. And that's covered from our eyes until the veil is torn through in the body of Christ. So every single thing is in order. It's just marvelous. It's simply marvelous how God has done this. And in consideration of that right now, we take the Lord's table, where Paul wrote these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and he would have given thanks over it. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Malech haolam ha-motzilechem min ha-aretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord of God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he would have taken the bread after the supper. And he would have said this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech haolam, Borei peri hagafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
crucified in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the blood, Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood, the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how many blessings you've blessed us with just in the past week, much less in our whole lives. Thank you for all you've done for us, and help us to keep our eyes focused on you, give comfort to those who are mourning, give help to those who are weak, and give joy to those who are strong, and give them the ability to share their strength with others. And Lord, we just thank you for all the good things you've done for us. We thank you. There's, there's not enough that we can say in thanks and praise to you throughout the day. All day long, we could just keep saying it. Thank you for those beautiful flowers, the gold trees all over Sarasota, and the blue sky, the green leaves that are coming out once again, and the cool weather, and then when the summer comes, the rain. So each thing is so well-ordained and orchestrated. Help us to just remember that your hand is in all things. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you for everything you've done. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.